You're listening to a Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Arma Energy, presented by Fly Racing, W Wheels, Bill's Pipes, Just One Helmets, X-Brand Goggles, Shades of Grey Custom Helmet Painting, Rhino Power Sports Supplements, Roy Borton Suspension, Watts Perfections, and Golden Tire. Simply the best, motocross and supercross news from around the globe. And now, here's your host, Brad Gephardt. Welcome to the Arma Energy Drink, Big MX Radio Podcast Show, brought to you by Fly Racing, X-Brand Goggles, Just One Helmets, and Bill's Pipes. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got the big boss, the hot sauce, goes by the name of Tony Blazer. What's up, Fat Cat? I'm very well, Brad. Thanks for asking. How about yourself? Hey, it's not too bad. Uh, uh, it's a long, cold winter for a, uh, a bricklayer... Uh, bit out of work right now, but uh, uh, we're, we're working on uh, gainful employment, and I understand that you yourself have had a long, uh, hard day uh, hawking uh, General Motors product. Uh, you broke up a little bit again. What was the question? I'm sorry? Uh, I, I believe you've had a, a long, hard day um, selling uh, General Motors products. Yeah, it was a little, little quiet today. It was a long day, uh, hard because not many people came in. It was raining here and pretty dreary all day, so it makes for a long day. Fair enough. Uh, what, what is it that excites you about uh, your occupation over there? Uh, um, as you're, you're the sales manager, so uh, you, you you have a you have a hand in almost every single uh, purchase that goes on. Yeah, basically, it, when somebody comes in to negotiate the deal, um, when somebody says, "Hey, they want to buy something," the salesman comes to me, and then we work out the details of the transaction. So, yeah, I pretty much have my hands in any deal that's uh, going on while, while I'm on the desk. Yep. So what's the most ridiculous request that you've had from uh, either A, your staff, uh, or, or B, a, um, someone looking to buy a vehicle that uh, basically asking for the moon and not, asking, and not wanting to pay for it? Wow. Um, I, I will say the, the one thing that always strikes me is how much people think um, we make on every deal. They, they seem to think if there's a, let's, let's say for instance, there's a Chevrolet SS, which is a performance yeah. sedan they sell. Um, that car is, it lists for like $50,000 and uh, there's only about $700 to invoice from MSRP in that car. Um, and then yes, there, we, even after, if you compound or you, you add up all the kickbacks you get from General Motors, you're lucky to make, if I sold it for a little, it's like a fifteen hundred dollar profit, maybe two grand tops. It's pretty crazy how, how little yeah, markup yeah. there is in um, in the cars. And people assume, you know, that oh, if it's fifty grand, the dealer must be making thirty or twenty or whatever. You know, they see these crazy ads on TV and for ten grand off, twenty grand off, whatever the hell it is, and they assume that. But um, unless there's some really insane deal going on, most of the cars are so much profit in it. You know, you make your money by hitting these stair-step objectives and you got to sell something in a quarter and yada, yada. And, um, it's pretty crazy. Sometimes people just don't realize just how little markup there is in the things. It's crazy to me. Even I started in this business in uh, the early nineties and there's probably, I don't know, there's probably four or five times more profit in a car in 1995 than there is now. The manufacturer just keep cutting the dealers back and back and back. 
Fair enough. Well, uh, next time I, I'm looking for a vehicle I'll, uh, for a sixty thousand dollar truck, I'll be sure to uh, tell him, tell the, uh, the sales guy that uh, Tony in uh, in New Jersey was willing to sell me it for uh, under thirty. <laughs> exactly. I hear that all the time. And uh, you know, sometimes you call people on it; they'll say some crazy thing, and you're like, you know full well every dealer pays the same for the same car. They're like, okay, they, you're just crazy. Whatever. You're gonna you, you try to tell people, well, you got to get there, and they're gonna say, oh, but you this this that the other whatever some excuse you know but sometimes people just want to go you know waste three hours of their time so it's what it is all right well uh let's enough about the two wheels let's talk about the four wheels and uh <clears throat> when you're talking to tony blazer you always have a tendency to go back in time that's kind of a bit of a motif for you and uh uh, um, you've got a really cool project in the works right now, a 1990 CR250, and um, when you got it, it was it was in working order or uh, pretty close to something that uh, someone could to restore, but uh, you've done some pretty extensive work on it so far. What exactly, um, what direction did you go with your restoration of the 1990 CR250, and uh, what have you got done so far? Well, I've pretty much settled on doing like a Stanton replica. From, uh, and I think I'm going to settle on 1990. Um, I have the classic from 1991 and 90 is basically the same, except for uh, the shrouds are a different color. Uh, there's not much real difference in terms of the body work, so it's pretty easy to swap back and forth. And I kind of went back and forth. You can't put those shrouds on, like. Tony. You can't put those shrouds What's, on. I'm going to know. You, no, you're, you will. I mean, I think <laughs> I was real, real, real tempted to go 91, but I think in the end, I think I'm going to uh, – we just been browbeating me to keep it a 90. So I think I'm going to keep it a 90. Um, yeah, I go 90. Uh, yeah, I think 90's a cleaner looking bike for sure. Um, the 91 is interesting, visually interesting. Um, the white shrouds and stuff uh, are interesting, but they don't flow as well and stuff. So I, I think I've settled on um, 90. And I, a place called Evo MX out of the UK, um, I've been talking to them about some stuff and um, they were really awesome uh, to deal with. And they were nice enough to make me up some uh, graphics that are replicas of Stanton's stuff that they ran yeah, that year that. right down to like um, that stuff it, it is so sick I finally got it this last week and I started putting some of the graphics on the plastic uh, unfortunately the bike's still in a million pieces I have uh, I haven't got the frame back yet it's getting powder coated as we speak although it might be done I haven't got it back from the body shop yet um, the suspension's out at Racetech in California my wheels are you know, on the way back, um, John Anderson at W was nice enough to lace me up some Excel rims and powder coat my uh, stock hubs. So I'm getting that done. I'm nice. getting super anxious to put it back together. I mean, I have boxes and boxes of new stuff. I I bought new everything, you know, new throttle, new cables, new um, bolts. So I, when I put it back together, it's going to be looking primo. Um, but it's still just basically right now just a bunch of boxes of pieces. Please tell me that uh, somebody over at HRC or someone you know who has a connection at HRC has hooked you up with a sweet bolt kit for this thing. Uh, even if it's not Ty, um, get get this thing looking way – like just push it over the top. Well, I don't have any Ty. Obviously, Ty, well, well, that, that would cost you know probably more than the whole project. <laughs> yes. bolts on it. But I did find some really cool um, – uh, I have some like factory replica uh, washers and stuff that are grilled. And um, I had a buddy of mine hook me up with some high-polished uh, bolt kit and stuff for the thing. Uh, so, yeah, it's definitely going to – it looks nice because the black motor really pops if you replace the uh, – because originally all the all the bolts on a 1990 are black. 
They're painted black. Okay. So um, so I'm replacing all those with like a, a new bolts that are polished, you know, bright zinc. It gives it that factory bike look. Um, so I'm doing all that. Of course. And uh, makes it pop a little bit. Replacing like the washers and stuff with uh, the, the cross-drilled ones and stuff to give it a little bit of a factory look too as well. Well, right on. So obviously, uh, Jeff Stanton, extremely dominant that year. That's uh, a, a rider that you definitely uh, uh, looked up to, aspired, uh, idolized, if you will. Uh, even even if he's, uh, I think he's he's is he the same age as you or younger? Wow, I think Jeff. He's gotta be. I bet we're about the same age. Cause, um, Fair enough. So, yeah, it's not a whole lot different than me looking up to uh, Ryan Villapoto, but uh, a guy who uh, you, you watched really closely, and it's got to be cool for you to uh, put a bike like this together knowing full well that he's for sure going to lay eyes on it and uh, perhaps even want to twist the throttle at some point. That would be awesome. That'd be a dream come true. I'd love to make a road trip up to Michigan and uh, get him to ride it for me. That'd be awesome. Or even even better if you uh, if they're doing the, the the legends race again, and instead of him riding a four stroke, you uh, you trip that thing down to the legends race and have him race it there. That would be phenomenally cool for sure. No doubt. So uh, one of the things that I noticed on Instagram this last week is that you had the opportunity to partake in one of your favorite pastimes, which is uh, installing a brand new uh, seat cover. Tell us a little bit about the swearing that was involved with that. Oh my God, that whole situation is a nightmare. I was actually just typing up uh, the third installment for uh, pulpamex.com on the um, yeah. on my bike. I've been documenting as I go. And I, I got this uh, Trick Technocell cover, which um, actually Stanton didn't run that year. The, the For some reason, the uh, American bikes ran Technocell covers like in 86, 87, I think, but by 90, they, they weren't. Um, the, the Euro guys ran them. But anyway, long story short, I got this cover. I always thought they were real cool. I ran one on my 90 back in the day, and I was trying to put it on the the seat. And Guts Racing was awesome enough to hook me up with a brand new set, uh, a brand new uh, bit of seat foam there. And the thing about the the 90 uh, seat is the seat pan itself is pretty small, and the foam extends past the seat pan a good two inches on every side up at the tank. And the seat foam is designed to sit kind of flush against the tank. And, you know, especially on an older bike that, that's been sitting there rubbing there for a while, you can see where the seat is supposed to go. You know, if you pull it up, you can see there's a rub marks on the tank. So anyway, long story short, I couldn't get the, the foam to um, not get scrunched. When I pulled the seat cover tight to get the wrinkles out of the dang thing, then it would squish in the seat foam and deform it at the, uh, at the tank juncture. I was like, it was making me crazy. I ended up taking it to my buddy's shop, um, near me, my Honda, the local Honda store, and he got it on there for me without the um, wrinkle in it, but then it, now it it is so deformed it doesn't sit in the tank anymore. So I'm going absolutely nuts. I end up taking it back off. Um, I am going to uh, make one more attempt at trying to get it on there. I'm going to take a heat gun to it and see if I can get it to go on there. I, I don't know. I'm so frustrated with that whole situation. I even went to like a local upholstery store where I live and they, they wanted like 130 bucks to put it on. And, and quite frankly, I think they probably wouldn't have done any better job than the Honda shop did for me. But uh, you know, the OEM one that year, it doesn't, um, it's got a, lot, a little more room up at the, it's designed obviously to sit without putting a lot of stress on that foam up there. It's got more of a pocket, I guess you'd say for the, the front of the seat and right. the, the technocell one, it doesn't, uh, you really have to stretch the heck out of it. And without something hard to push against, it just pulls it all loose. It's making me crazy. I, I'm so frustrated with a stupid seat. I hate seat covers. I hate them. 
No kidding. Tough to get right, but when, when they you do do them right there, uh, they really tie things together. So I wish you the best of luck with that. And, uh, <laughs> Thank and hopefully you. Uh, the, the Project 90 can uh, can be buttoned up and uh, sealed and delivered uh, in, in good time. And we can get a, a photo uh, of, of one of your bikes on on your page, uh, for, on uh, Tony, at, at Tony Blazer on, uh, on Instagram, which uh, for those who don't already follow, please go and do so because uh, – we're so used to posting you posting all kinds of uh, like historic bikes over the years. We'd like love to see one of yours again. That would be awesome. Hope they have it done hopefully by this time next year at this rate. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, we always look forward to that. 2017, here we come. And by then, we hope that uh, James Stewart will be back racing full time. But um, that's that's where I want to start off talking about the 450 class leaving Oakland, uh, the city of dreams, as they call it. Um, James Stewart, blurry vision, uh, concussion-like symptoms. He takes himself out of the race right around lap eight. Also, right after uh, Weston Pike had uh, had passed him, a thing that probably disgusted uh, James Stewart to no end. Um, what's your take on this? Uh, concussion things are really serious. We find out that Kenny Stabler, uh, former Oakland uh, quarterback, uh, who passed away of, of cancer uh, about six eight weeks ago? Uh, has he? He's been. Uh, it's been dis- dis- discovered that he had the the brain disorder of CTE, uh, which is of course uh, very very common in football players. And honestly, if I if I was to look at a lot of the brains of um, of current motocross racers, I don't think it's too far off with as far as James is concerned. I wouldn't think so. I mean, it, you you got to think that. Uh... We probably don't take as many hits as a football player does, but we probably take yeah. when you do hit, they're harder hits. I mean, I've been knocked out probably, huh, I've been knocked out maybe a dozen times in my life, you know, for riding over the course of 30 years. I mean, and a couple of times, I remember I hit my head really bad one time. I, actually, on my 1990 CR250s, ironically enough, I cartwheeled, I came up short on a double cartwheel, landed on my head, and I don't remember anything for like a day or so. Um, and I didn't feel right for months. You know, I, and I, I think that uh, James would be really smart to take this really easy. And I mean, he probably feels pressure, obviously, because he was out for 16 months. And, you know, I'm sure he makes a fair amount of money from Suzuki and Red Bull and all these guys. And he probably feels, whether they put pressure on him or not, he probably feels internally that pressure. But it's, you know, somebody in his camp really needs to set him aside if he's not smart to do it himself and say, look, you need to you need to take this time off. You know, you look like somebody like Brock Kepler or all these guys in the NFL. The, you got to know that James has hit his head a lot. And I'm sure he's hit his head plenty of times on, you know, on a Wednesday when you don't even know about it. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, all of us hit our head. It's part of, part of riding is crashing. and You can hit your head and he's going a hell of a lot faster than me when he does it. So um, it doesn't surprise me that he has some lingering effects from it, you know? Hundred percent. I couldn't agree more. Um, if for for all of the uh, horrific crashes we've seen James t- do on uh, on on the racetrack on uh, national television, there's probably got to be two that were that were done uh, like during either his amateur career or um, or like you said on a Wednesday practicing and stuff like that. Stuff that, that wasn't filmed, wasn't released. Um, and uh, honestly, I, I'm I'm concerned for James. I want to see him do well. 
Um, but I want him to see to be healthy down the road as well. It, it's just uh, like and the health way ahead uh, of his his personal success. I think what what feel he feels is pressure the most is the fact that this comeback to racing was so highly publicized. It was there's so much anticipation rolling up to it, and there was uh, so many of those. Uh, posts and like uh here here he comes back and he, he won the the straight rhythm thing like uh coming back better than ever and it couldn't have gone worse so far um which which again i think uh, p- puts a lot of pressure on james to uh come back too early and uh what i'd really like to see is to james take it take, james take as much time as he needs to get 100 percent healthy and come back uh when when he feels ready to do so and um obviously oakland was not the right time yeah, I agree. I mean, it, I mean, obviously at this point he's out of the title chase, so he has nothing to prove there. Um, I mean, honest to God, the guy has nothing to prove to anybody. I mean, he's a, won the Supercross title, won outdoor titles. He's had a heck of a career. Even if he calls it quits now, he has nothing to apologize for as far as that goes. And he really should take the time necessary to make sure, you know, he's okay when he is able to uh, come back. And if he doesn't, you, you got to worry about the rest of the quality of life, the rest of your life. You know, one more hit, they're cumulative, you know, especially if he was to hit, hit his head again quickly. Uh, it could be really, really long-lasting effects, and I just hope he's taking it seriously, you know? Totally. You want to take the proper precautions so that uh, you to put your health first and um, can can be sustainable uh, later on in life because um, after the lights go off for these guys, as far as a career goes, uh, they go like kind of out of the public eye and um, they have they have to deal with that stuff for the rest of their lives. And uh, we we as fans um, get get treated to the next crop of kids that uh, haven't knocked themselves silly. Right. I mean, yeah, it happens all the time in this sport, just like it does in the NFL. You see, unfortunately, a lot of these guys that have addictions to pain killers and other substances and stuff. And some of that probably is attributable to, you know, head injuries and other issues that are lingering. And uh, it's pretty common in, in all sports where you have a lot of head trauma. And, uh, you know, James, I hope I hope he's been smart enough with his money. He seems like a kind of guy who's probably spent a lot of the money he's made, but you got to hope that at this point he doesn't have to race to make ends meet. I mean, the guy's probably made you know twenty, thirty million dollars in his life. Uh, if he's even set half of that aside, you got to hope that he can walk away and not be pressed to do this to make a living. You know, you have to sit there and say, like you said, you got your. This is going to be over. The man's what thirty years old. He's got hopefully at least sixty, seventy years left after he stops racing. Um, and you want to make sure that you have some quality of life in that amount of time. No doubt. It's, uh, it's a scary thing to think about, but it's all too real for uh, the number seven, who, uh, as far as I'm concerned, my favorite, James Stewart, uh, rode a green bike, uh, lots of pink gear, and uh, scrubbed everything in his sight. So uh, in a lot of ways, uh, I love to see James as he is right now, but uh, my fondest memories of him are uh, about 10 years ago. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, my, my favorite James is when he was on Kawasaki. I love watching him on the, the KX125, and even in 05 on the KX250, is pretty entertaining to watch, yeah. for sure. Honestly, like if, if we if we were robbed of anything over, over the years as fans with motocross, uh, James Stewart's 2005 and uh, the rest of Travis Pastrana's career, uh, like Reyna rang like one and two for me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, James was... Um, that would have been a great year, I think, in 05 if he hadn't hurt his arm, uh, like early on in the second round, I guess, maybe. Because uh, when he came back, he was plenty fast. You know, outdoors, he was outgunned because Ricky was on that four-stroke. But 
in Supercross that year. And when he came back, he was fast and it was fun to watch. He was exciting to watch, you know. For sure. You think uh, Ricky on a two-stroke um, 2005, even if it was a Suzuki, uh, th- those two would have at least uh, had like had the championship go down right down to the to the last uh, moto? I, mm, I don't know. I, I think Ricky probably still would have beat him. Ricky was still a, a better guy outdoors at that point, but I think it would have been a he lot still, closer. He's 25 years old at the time. Like That's, the, yeah. that's right in... Exactly. Right in I mean, Ricky, he was on a two-stroke, what, an O... Three. Three? Oh, three. And he, against four strokes, and he still laid the wood down. So, and that wasn't a very good, that CR250 wasn't very good that year. So, I, I, I don't think that he would have uh, lost in 05 if he had been on the RM250, which was a really good bike as well. But I think it would have been closer. I, I think James was, you know, he already was at a disadvantage, probably to Ricky, just in terms of raw speed outdoors, in terms of. Uh, holding that speed probably for 30 minutes at least, maybe one lap he had him, but um, he he had a knife that brought a knife to a gunfight in 05 outdoors, I think. Absolutely, and and hard to beat uh, the greatest of all time when he's in his prime. Um, and speaking of guys that are in their prime, let's move right on to the big number one, um, Ryan Dungey. Uh, he's held the points lead for uh, I believe three weeks now. He's he's rattled off three wins in a row and um, just looking better and better every single week. Um, Ryan Dungey, is he in his prime? And uh, if is there anything that anyone can throw at him to uh, disrupt his mental edge over the rest of the 450 class? Man, I, I think he is in his prime. Yeah, definitely. He's This year and last year, he, he's shaw, shown raw speed that he didn't have earlier on. You know, He's always been uh, consistent and always been in shape, but he didn't have that sprint speed that he seems to have now. He, uh, like he has a, he was almost like a killer aggression. Um, he shows now that he didn't have, and that may be attributable to Alden and, um, that whole situation there where he feels a little more confident or maybe, I don't know if the new bike works great, but whatever. He's, he's definitely seems like a new dungeon. And I would say, yeah, he is in his prime for now. I mean, now for sure. Um, as far as disrupting him, I don't know. I mean, I think your only hope is maybe to, hope he doesn't get the whole shot. Uh, maybe if he's back in the pack and you can do like trade did it round one and put a wheel on him and maybe knock him down. He's even then though, he came back the second. I don't see that, that Ryan's going to have a race where he's going to get a seventh or an eighth or something. I just don't think unless he has a, a mechanical problem, that's likely to happen, you know, and if he gets, if he's getting seconds and thirds, even if Roxon or, or Eli or somebody wins, yeah, gosh, he's got, 20 something points on him already it'd be hard to make those points back up absolutely right now it seems it's um it's a scenario where uh dungy continues to win races and his next best competitor isn't getting second place his his next best competitor is going anywhere from sixth to uh to second place and if and if you're giving up uh what's what's sixth place for points wise um 12 points yeah, probably something like that. Yeah, give well, it four, 14 points. Yeah. You're, you're giving up almost 10 points a, a moto. Like, before uh, before too long, he's got an extra race on you. And it's getting to the point where uh, Ryan Dungey can have a catastrophic uh, DNF and still hold the points lead or still right be in, in the, like, kind of pick up where he left off the next weekend and, and try and build that points lead up again. Um like a couple of things are going to have to happen for somebody else to even throw their hat in the ring as far as this championship goes. Ryan Dungey's going to have to have a completely unrelated, uh, uh, either a crash or a DNF mechanical or um, 
the other guys are going to have to uh, collectively start to pull points away from him. He's going to have, like, the other, um, he's got to get fourths and fifths for, for, for even one guy to start chipping away at that points lead. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and it's, it's not going to happen. He, no, it's not, you're right. Even when RV was kicking everybody's ass, he still would have like a fluke. 12th or 10th or even you know a race where he might not qualify or something crazy thing would happen <laughs> to him you know yeah. he pushed the envelope a lot more than dunge does dunge is not willing to hang it out like rv did and i, I just I mean, unless his bike blows up or he has some crazy thing where his chain comes derailed you know i i just don't see him getting worse than a third or something even if he crashes he'll probably still be up there third or fourth at the end um you- so it, it's gonna be hard for these guys to make up points on him i, I just don't know that it's gonna happen do you ever think to yourself that uh, Ryan Dundee's era is what would the world would have been like that if uh, R- Ricky Carmichael hadn't uh, beaten up on on uh, on Kevin Windham all those years? You think you think there's a corollary between Kevin and Ryan? I mean, if uh, if yeah. Ricky hadn't been there, Kevin, you know, that's an interesting like, idea. Maybe Kevin not at like the thing is is that like Dungey isn't winning all the championships, but neither did ne- neither would have K Dub. Like, but he still would have been the best of the rest sort of thing. Probably. I think Kevin's problem, you know, obviously early on he was, um, it was mostly in his head. It was mental issues he had as far as, you know, I don't think he was a real hard trainer at first. He always had a huge amount of uh, ability, but he wasn't quite as willing to hang it out and, and push through as, as guys like RV and, and uh, Ricky Carmichael were. So, I definitely think he would have had a couple of titles. I don't know that he would have racked up as many as Ryan is because the thing about Dungy is he's always been a hard trainer. He's always in shape, and um, yeah. he hasn't been – I don't think he's been a guy to hang it out. He doesn't – he definitely doesn't push the envelope like some of these other guys do, but he's always been one of the best uh, guys in terms of endurance and being in shape, especially outdoors is where it really – where that really plays into his hand. You know, he just – he clicks off the same lap time and never slows down. Um, and that's a huge, huge advantage outdoors where it's hot and some guys are start falling off the pace towards the end. Well, it, when you look at Dungey, I just see a picture of confidence. I see a guy who knows that he is uh, likely to win. Uh, he, like he is the odds-on favorite to win every race that he enters right now, and that he knows that in in his own mind, in the minds of his competitors, in the minds of the fans, uh, the worst he can really do is somewhere on the podium. And he knows uh, full well that the rest of his competitors. Um, realistically most of them can fluctuate anything from from first to seventh place and they've done so so uh in a lot of ways uh it's kind of like i got these guys handled and i'm going to just uh i'm going to be the more consistent one because uh, no one can be as dominant or consistent as i am right now and that's why i'm going to frustrate the heck out of all of them i agree i mean i think he's got a mentally beat before he even goes to the line i he if i'm sure somebody like roxon or or eli wouldn't tell you that but I think in the back of their mind, they know that not only has he got their speed, he seems to, which is something he lacked in the past. Um, he's been getting good starts. He doesn't make mistakes. He's just, he's hitting on all cylinders right now. And that's a real tough thing to beat. Well, everything's coming together for Ryan Dungey. He's got yeah. the trainer and he had, like, he's had uh, numerous guys, like he's had a guy like uh, Ken Roxon who uh, would have also had uh, Alden in his back pocket, someone like someone that uh, knows how to put a great pro- program together. He had, like, Ken left the program, bonus bonus for Dungey. He's got the bike, which is uh, which is arguably the best 
450 motorcycle uh, on the planet, um, and it, and it's absolutely it, it's in its perfect. Like, it, it's the 2009 C, uh, CR450. It's exactly where it needs to be. It's it's working for him. He's uh, he's got a smoking hot wife. He's on the cover of the Wheaties box. Everything is rolling <laughs> Ryan Dungey right now. Uh, it's tough to uh, it's tough to put a stop to that momentum. It really is. It really is. What 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 I would love to know is if things had worked out differently, you know, cause early on, I think Ryan had the opportunity to work with Alden. They didn't want to spend the money because Alden is very expensive and, and RV ended up with them. And you get, cause I think it's pretty clear. Everybody knows RV had a lot of speed, but he wasn't nearly as voracious of a trainer, you know? And you got to wonder if, if, you know, four or five years ago, Dungy had ended up with Alden and RV had ended up with, you know, Randy Lawrence or some other trainer, if things had worked out differently, you know, I, I don't know. I, I'd love to, it's one of those bench racing questions, but it's, it's interesting to me because he, he just definitely did not look like the same guy all those years. You could just see, he just didn't feel like he had whatever it took to run with RV and it was always a tick off. And he's a different guy now. He looks, he's more like a, you know, a MC in his prime or, or, you know, even RV in his prime. He just, I think he knows when he goes to the line, he's got these guys beat. If he doesn't make a mistake, he, he thinks he's going to win. And it, that confidence is a powerful thing. Absolutely, it's. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of experience with that because I have never gone to a line uh, knowing that uh, I got these guys covered, except for maybe a, a couple LCQs that I may have uh, fallen into uh, when I was uh, in my my earliest years on 125s. But uh, to walk into a line and look down the line on both ways and not see anybody that, that's got anything for you is is a powerful feeling and uh, the mental edge as motocrossers that we are. Um, if you're behind a guy who you know you can pass him, it's just a far con conclusion. You're just looking for a place as to where. And when you know you can pass them, those opportunities uh, seem to pop out at you a whole lot more frequently uh, than than if you're you're really doubting yourself. And um, honestly, I think there's a huge question mark in the eyes of uh, Ken Roxon, Eli Tomac, Jason Anderson, and many others that uh, they don't know if they can they can pass the guy and they don't know if they can make a pass stick. And once they have made the pass stick, I don't know if they know they can run away from him. And I think Ryan Dungey honestly can answer all those questions with a yes, and that's why he's going to win this championship. Yeah, I agree. So let's talk about his main competitor, and that's the 94 machine of, of uh, Ken Roxon. A guy who stood on the podium this uh, about five days ago looking frustrated as all hell. And honestly, like, he was standing there before he got interviewed, and you just tell him he's thinking to himself, can I beat this guy? Um, what does uh, what does Ken need to, vo- to avoid the frustration? Well, I think there's only one thing he needs, and he's going to start. He can't let Ryan start in front of him. Um, I think if if Ryan is is getting hole shots and he's getting fifth, sixth, seventh place starts, I, I don't think he has a prayer of beating him. He he may have um, had a, an edge in speed maybe two years ago, but I don't think he has it anymore. I think you look at Ryan; he's he's right up there and up front in practice, um, up front in the races, is turning lap times equal or better to Kenny. So. I really think the only the only hope Kenny has of of beating him is probably to start with him and make an aggressive pass early or get a better start. I think if he starts behind him, he probably finishes behind him at this point. Or I just don't see him running him down. You know? Do you think at all that uh, it would cross uh, Ken Roxon's mind to get um, to get a little physical? That wouldn't surprise me. Although Kenny, it's never struck me as a guy who's really overly aggressive in that way, and I. 
I, I although I think they had a little bit of a, a friendly rivalry going, especially when they were both on KTM's. Um, I never, I never got the impression that he was, you know, inclined to center punch the guy. So it wouldn't surprise me if he like made an aggressive pass, but I don't see him doing like Trey or, or Weston Pike did to freeze this last weekend and just putting Dungey down. I could be wrong. Maybe if it came down to the title at the last round, sure. But in general, I just don't think Kenny rides like that most of the time. Fair enough. Well, time, only time will tell. Um, I, I think that, um, honestly, it, Ken Roxon doesn't need to just start with, uh, Dungey, I think he needs to start in front of him and several places in front of him so they can run away, get some momentum, and and, uh, and then maybe they can start together and and do battle because uh, he, he needs to build up some confidence right now as far as uh, asserting his will because right now he just uh, he seems like a guy that's looking to play second fiddle. Yeah, I mean if he gets a if he gets a whole shot and Ryan gets a fifth or sixth place start, um, I could see him maybe winning and Ryan getting second. Um, yeah. But yeah, if if Ryan starts second and right on his tail, man, I think at this point Ryan hasn't covered. I think he probably beats him. And as it stands, even if Ryan does only uh, does get a uh, uh, a second place finish, that's only going to uh, bring Ken Roxon three points closer to that championship <laughs> uh, overall finish, which right now uh, sits at uh, I believe. Um, Oh, that looks like twenty-five points at the full race lead uh, yeah, for the uh, close to the, it. the big number, f- the number one right now. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's time to go for for Ken Roxon. Yeah, it's it's if they if he and Eli wait any longer, it's, it's just going to be over. I, I got to be honest, I think it's over with now unless unless something terrible happens to Ryan Spike or him. Um, I just don't see that one of them catching him. To be honest. Absolutely agree. Now, before we hit the commercials uh, and and uh, look forward to Phoenix, uh, I only have one question for you for the 250 class. Is this a brand new series or just a hiccup in Webb's perfect season? I think it's a hiccup. I think Webb just comes out, and unless obviously there's some chronic issue where the bike dies again, I, I think he lays a smack down. I mean, in fairness, um, Joey was keeping the pressure on. It was actually a pretty close race, and if if Cooper made any kind of minor mistake, he probably could have still lost that race. And when you think that uh, uh, Joey Savacci had like a busted shifter and was stuck in first and second gear the whole time, it's pretty amazing how fast he was going. So it's I'm possible. Kidding. The fact that a I PC mean, it, 250F can jump a triple, or I guess there was no triple out there, but like navigate a rhythm section in first gear, you're like, come on. That's amazing. When you think about that, that is absolutely amazing. You're going to ride this whole track in like first gear, second gear. That's crazy. I'd be afraid. I'd be afraid I'd blow the motor up or something. <laughs> they let go on me, but that is pretty amazing. But yeah, it's, it's could change the momentum a little bit. Obviously you got to think that Joey's going to get a little confidence out of the win, but I think in Cooper's mind, he still thinks, oh, you know, that was his race to win. He had it covered and he has, still has all these guys covered. I, I don't think that it's a reset of the series, honestly. I think all he does is just start pulling out a lead again, quite frankly. Yeah, I just think that uh, this is the difference uh, between Cooper Webb wrapping it up early or uh, or needing to have a, a decent night on the last night of the championship uh, in Vegas to uh, to wrap to wrap it up completely. If not, he, he do it. He, he still has the ability to to make that happen. Uh, I guess it'd be the only round where uh, Cooper Webb's not going to carry the number one. The, My only concern. Plate. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. The red, the red plate, rather, because he's still going to have the number one on his bike. Exactly. My only concern for Cooper would be 
he is very emotional. He's a lot like a Damon Bradshaw or some of these guys like that, where yeah. I would not want him to come out there at the next round and decide he's going to show everybody his boss and like, kick everybody's ass and then have some stupid crash. He, he might, he needs to just ride within himself. He has the speed to win. If he doesn't push, he should beat these guys. I, I think he still is the fastest guy by far. Um, if he's just stays within his program and rides smart, I, I think he's got these guys covered the rest of the way. Totally agree. So let's uh, let's hit those commercials here on the Big MX Radio Podcast Show, brought to you by Fly Racing X-Brand Goggles and Bill's Pipes. Hey, this is Jake Weimer with Team Tedder Racing, and you're listening to Big MX Radio. We're going to commercial break. We'll be right back. If there's one item to be picky about, it's choosing the right helmet. I'm Andrew Short, and I choose the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. You too can wear the exact same helmet I wear, Trey Kennard wears, Jimmy Albertson wears, and many others. The F2 Carbon is a helmet loaded with details that make a huge difference in comfort and safety. Lightweight materials, phenomenal airflow, and a super comfortable, sweat-absorbing liner, and generous eye port design to accommodate any goggle choice are just a few. And did I mention how super trick these helmets look? Straight off the shelf and onto the racetrack. If you are looking for one amazing helmet, look no further than the F2 Carbon from Fly Racing. For more information about Fly Helmets and other products from Fly Racing, visit them on the web at flyracing.com. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better fuel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Indigos. For extreme kids like us. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. When it comes to helmets, there is just one. The helmet brand, that is. Just One Helmets is tailor-made for motocross and street bike riding, and now available in North America. Who chooses Just One? Well, for starters, Tim Geiser, winner of the Italian round in MX2, David Philipparts, Vicky Golden, Trevor Reese, as well as David Pulley. And you know what? So do I. I choose Just One Helmets because they are simply the safest, lightest, and most comfortable lid available. Want to know more about Just One Helmets? Check them out on the web at www.justonehelmets.com. Find out about the J12 the J32, and all of the colorways that are absolutely blow your socks off. So guys, please head over to www.justonehelmets.com today. Go check them out. You won't be disappointed. The 2014 X-Brand Goggles is back and better than ever. From the Scatter X, Volcano, and Phantom Goggle, X-Brand has the product to make you stand out on race day. The quality of X-Brand products is second to none. 
great lenses, incredible frame, and a strap that doesn't wear out. Great tear-offs, zip-off systems, nose guard, and more. Check out eksbrand.com for all of the accessories and pricing. WUSA is your one-stop shop for quality wheel sets in America. All of the best components built for the toughest conditions. Hit up WUSA.com, that's D-U-B-Y-A-U-S-A.com right now and check out the custom wheel builder selection. Pick your rims, pick your hubs, pick your spokes, even pick your nipples and see what it's going to look like on your bike. On the website you'll drool over components like XL and DID rims, Talon and Kite aluminum hubs, Galfer and Brembo brakes, and spokes that take a licking and keep on ticking. The same wheels that you buy are built by the same guys we're building wheels for. Ryan Dungey, Jeremy Martin, Chad Reed, and the entire Geico Honda team. And I kid you not, if they are not told whose wheels are whose, they just build amazing product. And I want you guys in a set of W wheels. So do what I did and head to dubyausa.com today. WUSA, all things wheels. What's up, guys? It's time to talk a little bit about Roy Borden Race. He's the performance specialist. Suspension, making a motor work, balancing a bike, or just maintenance. He's got the tools and know-how to make sure that your bike is ready on race day or practice. Roy Borden has strength in years of experience and the best technology and best tools at his disposal. Whether you're getting your forks redone, seals, or a full, full-blown rebuild on your forks or, or shock. Call up Roy Borton today at 204-633-2722. Bill's Pipes, the home of legendary performance. Since 1974, Bill's Pipes has been providing motocross and off-road riders the performance they need. Two-stroke or four-stroke, Bill's Pipes has the exhaust system for you. In recent years, we've seen a resurgence of the Bill's Pipes brand, and that's great news. And that's great news for motocross racers everywhere. For four-strokes, Bill's Pipes brings the RE13 to dominate the fight on any brand. For you two-stroke guys, the MX2 Bill's Pipes exhaust system is the right one for the job and comes in works, nickel, and the all-new cone look finish that'll turn heads all day long. Head to BillsPipes.com right now and get the same pipe used by Billy Lidinovich, Vicky Golden, the JMR Suzuki team, Jesse Pierce, Nico Izzy, and David Cole. Bill's Pipes is craftsmanship at its finest. So go with Bill's Pipes and never settle. And we're back. Big MX Radio Podcast Show still on the line with the fat cat himself. Goes by the name of Tony Blazer. And we're going to talk a little bit about Phoenix. How are you feeling, though, Tony? I'm feeling a lot worse after you call me fat cat again. Uh, sorry about that. I'll have to edit that out. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, 
before we talk about the the classes, let's talk about the track. Long start this weekend. The entire length of a football field, which would be longer up in Canada, but you guys have a slightly different view on how long a football field should be. Nevertheless, it's going from end zone to end zone. And do you give most of the whole shots to Yamaha motorcycles? Man, I got to think so. Although I would say um, in the 250 class, for sure. In the 450s, I think the KTMs will give them a run for the money, for sure. Fair enough. Well, uh, I think that either way, uh, this this weekend should kind of sp- spread people out a little bit going into that first corner and allow for some uh, good, clean racing uh, coming out of that first corner. I tell you what, it's pretty interesting looking track, isn't it? It's it's cool yeah. to see it mix things up a little bit. It kind of reminds me of one of the Vegas tracks a little bit, the way they laid it out. So it should be interesting. Absolutely. And uh, again, like uh, unless uh, I'm uh, mistaken, with this one uh, this one jump kind of looks like a like a clear a clear uh, built triple. But honestly, I don't see any triples on like a like a purpose built triple on the track like this last weekend we didn't have one either which like after i watched it i thought that was weird like you usually see at least one triple but uh in oakland there was uh, a bunch of rhythm sections and uh some kind of some funky stuff going on but no no just uh designated triple and same thing with uh um round round five in in phoenix unless you count this uh triple coming out uh just as they exit the uh behind the curtains uh, as you will uh section inside the stadium there um what do you think is is back there uh the guys over at feld or at uh, supercross uh online or supercrosslive.com aren't nice enough to uh show us exactly what's back there we won't know till race day so uh what do you think's back there whoop section um tilt a whirl what's that what's back there talking about like on the outside of the stadium portion the outer area yeah like what's back there you think Well, I looked at the animated track map. They did do one of those, and it looked like it was a big step up over a table. But, again, sometimes that stuff changes. Once they actually build a track, they make some changes there. But it it looks like it's a rhythm section going out into the outside. Kind of reminds me of, like, the old MGM Grand uh, U.S. Open tracks. And then a big – it's got a big single over a table. Um, At least that's what it is in the animated track map. It looks pretty big pretty interesting you know i like to see them mix it up a little bit i'm not so sure that if i was in this actually in the stadium i'd love that part because you can't see i remember like in vegas you can't see them for a few seconds that kind of stinks but on tv it won't bother us we'll be able to see the whole thing no kidding. I I attended a race in Vegas as well. Wasn't a huge fan of them leaving and then coming back. Like even if it's just a flat corner, um, if if the pass for the lead is out of my view, uh, I feel like I'm, I I might have uh, overpaid for my ticket. Yeah, it kind of stinks. You know exactly. It's it kind of sucks, especially if you're if you're one of the guys that's not a clear view of the jumbotron or something. You, you pretty much can't see what's going on. It's one of the great thing about a supercross is the whole race track is in front of you, unlike the outdoors. So when they do stuff like this, it's it's cool on TV, but it kind of does stink for the people there in the stadium. No doubt. Uh, so what do you think about uh, the animated track map that they've been showing on the broadcast? Um, instead of doing the behind-the-rider uh, animated thing, they've, they've like right into the, the, the cockpit of the motorcycle, uh, which is, um, for some, a little bit nauseating. And uh, for me, I just I kind of critique the fact that uh, the first weekend they had the rider uh, doing it, and um, it's supposed to be a video game. So whoever's controlling them, they did a very poor job. And then this last weekend... Uh, they had the racer doing a uh, like whoever's doing the video game portion of it quadded something that no one else did the whole race day. So um, it's a little bit of inconsistency in the uh, the caliber of racer as far as the uh, uh, the the simulator goes. 
That's true. I mean, actually, I, I'm one of the few people that really likes that game, that MX versus ATV Supercross. I love that game on my Xbox. Uh, although I do not like that first-person view from the rider. I've always thought that was a little bit nauseating. Like you said, it's a little weird. I prefer to look from behind. Um, yeah, no kidding. But, yeah, a lot of times the track, obviously in a video game, you can do some sections that you can't do in real life. Uh, so that doesn't surprise me. Sometimes the, I, I still think it's better than watching the Kawasaki Arrow go around like they're doing the outdoors, which is just ridiculous looking. So, the the Arrow that used to do whips and scrubs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think there, at least this is a little more realistic than that. Fair enough. Well, uh, I for one would like to be able to control that uh, little video game guy because uh, not only do I feel like I might do a little bit better job with the style on the side of things. But uh, it'd be kind of cool to be able to master uh, this week's track. I do actually like the uh, um, the the outdoor uh, or the uh, that video game. Um, rather good at it for those who have been ha- had the dis- displeasure of playing me online. But uh, um, yeah, for maybe maybe one day the two of us can square off. Let's do it. I'm sure it'll kick my butt. I love the game, but I'm not that great at it. Have you played a lot of the games over the years? Like I imagine, like just the, just as you're a connoisseur of all things motocross over the ages, you've probably uh, played some serious hours with uh, Excite Bike, Excite Bike '64, um, Supercross World Tour, Jam- Jamie Little Supercross, MX Racer, um, the entire MX vs ATV series, all that stuff. Oh yeah, I had actually I had a, um, one of the first games I had was for the Intellivision which is a ridiculously wow. cheesy game now when you look at it. But a buddy of mine used to, it was, uh, the controls are pretty wonky, but you could take people out and you'd always try to stuff them right before this double jump and stuff. It was a lot of fun. The graphics are terrible. But yeah, I had all the all those games. Uh, I remember when they first came out with the Motocross Madness game for the PC in the late 90s, I thought that was the coolest thing ever. And I pl- pretty much played every one of those as they've come out from Rainbow Studios and yeah, there's some better than others. I hated the one that came out what, Alive, I think it was. That was the only one I did not really care for at all. I, I never could get the hang of that one. But all the others I've enjoyed as they come out. For sure. The uh, the only one that I wasn't super pumped on, Alive, obviously, that was the last. That was the one that uh, came out after Reflex, which Reflex kind of set the standard. But uh, there was one that came out uh, in the, around the same time as Alive, and uh, it, was, it was just called Mud, and it had uh, Bill Poto on the cover of that thing. And there was actually a button for scrubbing, which was uh, more or less insulting to uh, for, for those who actually ride dirt bikes. So, like this, this is this isn't legit. So uh, that was my only gripe with that game is that you. Uh, I never tried that one never seen mud but fair enough well uh um thankfully they won't have to try mud this weekend in the stadium because they do have a roof uh, that that they can possibly put on if necessary but i don't think it rains too much in the desert do do you know i'm sure it probably does not i i I wouldn't think they had to get too much rain annually in uh phoenix Fair enough. Now, uh, let's talk about the 450 class and uh one of the guys that i've really kind of uh been in watching really closely this year has been Jason Anderson, um, Dungey's riding partner uh, th- through uh, spending time down in Florida. Uh, he's got the Alden Baker program, and uh, he's been uh, he's been a talk um, just about every round, but uh, like we said earlier, uh, a, a variance in his, in his results. Uh, what, what, when, do you f- when do you feel that Anderson's going to get back on the podium, and when is he going to be more consistent about it? Wow, that's a $20 million question. I think he's got the speed, obviously. I bet he wishes he found that. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I know. The problem is the same problem he's had last year. His starts are very inconsistent. Um, I mean, 
you can see that the KTMs can get good starts. I mean, Roxon got a good start. I mean, not Roxon, I'm sorry, uh, Muskin. And also, Dungey's been getting whole shots every week. So, you know, the bike is capable. Um, I'm not sure what's going on with him and his starts, but if he keeps getting, I think he's been like double digits the last couple of weeks. He was getting like tens, twelves, and stuff. You're never gonna, you're never gonna win from from that far back unless you are, you know, Jeremy McGrath, and it's 1996. It's just not gonna happen. The, the deep field of guys in front of him aren't gonna let him just run him down. So unless he gets his starts figured out, I, I just don't, I don't know if he's gonna hit the podium again. You know, you can't start 10th and, and work your way up to second. I don't think in this field. Absolutely. And uh, one of the things that I wanted to mention, which wasn't in the notes that I sent over to you was uh, of all guys in the 450 class that you would say uh, has landed himself in, uh, in the top eight, twice over the last uh the la- the first four races um would you say that uh jake weimer would be the most unlikely of uh of the field to to end up in the eighth place because uh i know jake might not be super pumped on an eighth place finish but based on how uh jake's 450 career was before he he left kawasaki uh, uh factory kawasaki and how it was last year when he, he was um often like fight, fighting it out for 12th, 11th place. Um, if, as, a, as a Jake Weimer fan, I'm ecstatic over an 8th place finish. That is way above where I would think that he would be hitting on a regular basis. Uh, after like As the years go on, you'd always expect him to go backwards. And he's taking a huge step forward, especially now with our, that RCH bike. I agree 100%. I, I'm super pumped for Jake. Uh, I, didn't, I bet if you talk to him, honestly, I don't think he would be you know, disappointed at all with that because yeah, I know he was on the pulp show, I don't know, three years ago or whatever, when he was on factory Cowie and, you know, somebody Kenny or somebody thought he was going to get seventh and he was put out a little bit by that, but there's no way he has the same level of expectation coming into this year after, you know, all the injuries he's had the last two years and, and being essentially on a privateer bike. If he's in the top 10, especially in this field of guys, he's got, he's, beating some good guys, you know, on factory equipment. So I kind of think he's, he's really, really exceeding expectations at this point. I'm, I'm super excited for him and I'm glad he got that RCH rider. And then to see he did so well on that too, I'm pretty amazed. He jumped with that, jumped onto that bike in like four or five days and uh, still got a top 10. That's really awesome. No kidding. Uh, yeah, no time on the bike, uh, and and doing well in the heat races and the semis. Like the guy, yeah. uh, he's qualifying. Uh, he's not getting paid the same way as um, even guys anywhere around him. Like if honestly, uh, he's out. He was outperforming Tickle before um, before Tickle went out, and he's outperforming guys like um, well, obviously Mil on uh, Millsaps, yeah. uh, Weston Pike. Um, El Chupacabra, uh, Blake Blake uh, Baggett just came back and didn't have himself an awesome night. Um, and uh, he's just he's just looking confident out there. Like you just didn't see that kind of fight from Jake that uh, that you're seeing this year. It's it's cool to see, and uh, it's it's nice to see the number twelve kind of come back. Maybe uh, having uh, that child over the over the uh, Christmas break uh, might have um, given him a, a little bit extra wind in his sails or something like that. Could be. I mean, he's finishing right behind like guys like Eli Tomac and stuff, and. I don't think most people would have considered that. I mean, I, honestly, I, I love Jake. He's an awesome dude, but I would not have expected that after the last couple of years. You know, I, I, to be honest, I thought he was going to retire. I didn't think he was going to come back after last year after he jacked himself up again. 
Um, I thought maybe that was the the end for him, and uh, I'm glad he came back, and I'm glad he's having an amazing year so far. Okay. Now, uh, before we move over to the 250s, um, I'm going to ask you one question for basically the rest of the field. And who needs to have like an unbelievable weekend more? Is it Cole Seeley? Is it Rox- Roxon? Is it Tomac? Or is it somebody else? Mm. Um, wow. I would say the one guy who really needs to show something is probably Eli Tomac. Um, just because... He's been, I mean, I guess he had, he probably would have finished on the podium, what, two weeks ago when he was on Reed and he washed out the front end. But in general, he hasn't been up front that much this year. Um, and I got to think, you know, Kawasaki's, they've had a rough run here since since RV retired. So I would think there's probably a fair amount of pressure on him to, uh, to do well. And if he's going to have any shot, any shot at getting back in the title fight, he really needs to start reeling off podiums. Um, at least Kenny got a podium last week and showed speed. I would say if I had one guy who really needs to turn things around in a hurry and show something this weekend, it would be Eli Tomac. Absolutely. I think that uh, that'd be a huge thing for his confidence. I think that uh, he'd be able to move forward and uh, and stick closer to the front because I think Tomac's one of those guys that uh, once he, he knows he can, he, he can feel himself – at the top of the podium, he knows how to stay there, which is something that uh, a guy like Anderson uh, hasn't quite captured just yet. Right, exactly. I mean, I think right Eli be okay. So, I didn't think he was going to win this title, honestly. I, I think what you're going to the real Eli Tomac is going to be outdoors. By then, he'll have his shoulders back uh, yeah. up to speed and strength. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised out. if he comes out and starts laying the wood outdoors. But, I mean, let's be honest. He, he hasn't, even the last few years without – Injury, he wasn't kicking everybody's butt indoors. You know, he won. Well, he won. I guess New Jersey last year. He showed showed a lot of speed at times, but it wasn't like he was the next Jeremy McGrath indoors. I think his real speed is more apparent outdoors. Did he not win Phoenix last year? Uh, yeah. Well, he won. Yeah, he did. He won like what two rounds? He won Phoenix and maybe New Jersey. Maybe is that right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, honestly, I think that uh, Tomac, the best thing for Tomac in 2016, unfortunately, might be uh, a continued lackluster year, um, not really threatening for a championship so that he can uh, refocus himself nice and early to get those factory settings uh, in for uh, for his... Um, for for his outdoor run and uh, and and head outside and just uh, put the wood to him because um, that's where he shines best and I think that uh, um, I think that's what's going to end up happening. Yeah, I agree. I think he'll be much more of a threat outdoors. Um, but then hopefully he'll have you got the whole thing with the shoulders plus the new bike and there's a lot going on there to get used to. So uh, by then he'll have six months under his belt on the Kawasaki easily and I think he'll be up to speed. Fair enough. So we already talked about how uh, we both feel that uh, Webb is going to uh, basically reassert himself on the 250s. So uh, uh, rather than uh, really breaking down the, that whole class, uh, just give me give me a top three um, from that class and uh, give me a wild card 10th place finish uh, from the 250 class. Oh, wow. Okay. I think Cooper wins. Um, I think Savachi gets second. And then I think probably Zach gets third next weekend. And, ooh, 10th place. That's a good one. Um, wow. I hope it's not the case. Uh, I say Chris Aldridge. Let's say Chris gets a 10th. 
which would be a huge step forward for uh, the the young man who has found a way to crash out of just about everything. Man, Who's having a better him. season so far, James Oof. Stewart or Chris Aldridge? Wow. Um, <laughs> that's tough. <laughs> that's, that's tough. Aldridge, yeah, he seems to uh, – I will say this, at least Aldridge usually gets up from the crash, so he's probably doing a little bit better. Enough. So, uh, all right, and um, so y- your tenth place is Aldridge. I'm going to go uh, Webb, Osborne, uh, Savachi for my podium, and tenth uh, place I'm going to give to uh, Jordan Smith. I think he's still got speed, but I think that shoulder, uh, that the the cortisone shot they're going to give him for his shoulder pain, it's going to start to wear off around lap ten. And that's going to make him slide back to uh, the tenth place because uh, anyone who's had some de- uh, some shoulder pain knows uh, it's tough to ride a motorcycle with that. Man, it's tough. It is tough. I, I jacked my shoulder up years ago. It's hard riding like that for sure. And I'm sure it's all never trying to go as fast as these guys are. Fair enough. Now, before I let you go and uh, get back to dreaming about bolting that uh, ni- 1990 CR 250 together, uh, give me your uh, your 450 podium and your 10th place finish for that class. I think Ryan Dungey wins again. Um, I think Eli get, uh, comes back and gets a second this week, and I'm taking Chad Reed for third. And 10th, wow. I'd say Will Hahn gets 10th. A step forward for Will. Yeah, a little bit. He should, you know, he needs to be a, I don't, obviously nobody expects him to be in the top five, but I think he needs to try and put that thing in the top 10 every week, you know? Absolutely. You're on the, you're, you're factory Kawasaki's sitting number two guy. You shouldn't be outside of the top nine. Yeah, exactly. I agree. You know what I mean? Like, that, like ninth should be your like basically the basement, and fighting for podiums should be your high level watermark. No, nope. right? Yeah, you're right. And I feel like that should that should be where every single second like the every team's second guy should be. Um, that's where um, Purcell should be. He should be not between third and ninth. Um, and he's, he hasn't been there. That's where Will Hahn should be. Um, and, and that's honestly, like if, if Davy Millsaps is BTO sports, KTM's number one guy, he should be fighting for, uh, for podiums and, uh, and no, not being any further back than maybe seventh. And he hasn't been able to pull that off, but, uh, um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, my podium for Phoenix, I'm going with Dunge up front because, uh, if, if you're, if you want to. If you, if you want to be have a safe bet, that guy, the number one up front is uh, pretty much the way to go. I think he's going to continue his dominance there. Uh, I think Chad Reed in the second place spot. Uh, it's a, I think this track is going to be uh, someone uh, track that uh, lets Chad get out to an early lead and maybe uh, latch on to Ryan and um, and put in some good laps. And uh, in third place, I'm going to put Jason Anderson because uh, he's been uh, one of those most consistent guys up front. He's second in points, or at least tied for second in points with Chad. So uh, I figure those three guys will be up front and styling. Tenth place, uh, we'll go to Davey Millsaps. Um, out of uh, uh, Supercross says he's from Marietta, California, but I'm not entirely, 100% sure about that. Uh, but, uh, um, yeah, I think 10th um, in the points will be 10th on the weekend, uh, Davey Millsaps. I think that's not a terrible finish for Davey, but like I said, I think he should be, top, he should be uh, fighting for top fives with guys like Cole Seely and uh, Marvin Muscan. Yeah, I agree. I think those are good picks. I like to see Chad hit, get second. That'd be awesome. 
Right on, man. Well, uh, thank you for, for uh, taking some time out of your night after a long, busy day uh, pushing that GM product. Um, be lenient on uh, on, on your, uh, your customers tomorrow. Hopefully, uh, you'll be able to make a couple extra sales, put a smile on your face before the gate drops on Saturday. I hope so, man. Thanks very much. Right on, man. You have yourself a good night. You too. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Podcast, brought to you by X-Brand Goggles. Be sure to check out our archive for episodes you may have missed. Check out our website at BigMXRadio.com for more content.